think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're gonna throw me out of here, fellas. You're gonna get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors, or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas, my trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 335 of Low Limit Football, also known as the 8th Anniversary Special on this 4th of September 2021. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight... We don't have a big monologue. We're just going to have some great guests. We're going to have a lot of fun and celebrate eight years of podcasting. So let me get my co-host in here real quick. Mr. Roberto Rojas. Eight years, my man. What's going on? Uh, seven years for me, actually. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I can't believe it. Time flies when you're having fun. It, it almost feels as if though yesterday I was on the show talking about the World Cup. And now here we are dealing with so much things that have been going on in the world. Players coming about and all that kind of stuff. It's been a real pleasure to obviously do this, to be able to obviously meet so many great people in the industry, to talk to so many people involved in the soccer world. I've been absolutely blessed and you know very fortunate to do it with you, Joe, for all these years. And here's hoping that we do it for many more years in the, in the future. Double digits right around the corner, my friend. And, and when you mentioned that, you know, talking about the World Cup, that was the 2014 World Cup. Not even the 2018. Now we're one year. Yeah, we and now we're about to have the 2022 World Cup in yeah. about a year's time. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna hit three World Cups, uh, a bunch of Euros, many many uh, Copa Americas, Gold Cups. Uh, you know, Libertadores, Champions, Champions League. League. Yeah, oh, Champions. yeah, the, oh, the list goes on and on and on. We've pretty much covered it all. Um, I guess we got to get that Asian League. Uh, you know pod started one of these days yeah, yeah, yeah. one of these days oceana africa yeah, as well something like that exactly oh we've covered we've co we've done cup of nations we've done all that stuff so um yeah we yeah you know, i guess i guess we're neglecting the the asian contingent so we gotta i guess we gotta work on that this year make it one of our goals so um traditionally this show has been jam-packed with guest after guest after guest we've run three and four hour episodes of this show and, and over the past couple of years we've kind of pared it way down um give you a little more quality a little less quantity um so today for our show we have our anniversary show we have two great guests massive friends of the show um jonathan johnson from cbs sports and french football expert of course 
And then our, our, our best friend, the, the person that, you know, makes it truly an anniversary special, uh, Mr. Jeremy St. Louis, from, also from CBS Sports, uh, and back in the BN days when this first started, is joining us as well. So uh, we have great, great interviews to bring you. We cover everything from World Cup qualifying to Ligue 1 to uh, Manchester United, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, you know, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. We, we've, we kind of run the, uh, the gamut. So let's jump right into it. Uh, we were earlier joined by Jonathan Johnson to discuss French uh, qualifying. We discussed uh, the Ligue 1, PSG, the effect of Messi on PSG, uh, as, well as, as well as Ligue 1. Uh, and it was a great interview. So without further ado, the Jonathan Johnson interview. And joining us now on our eighth anniversary special, French football expert from CBS Sports, Jonathan Johnson. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Before we get into the World Cup qualifying, which is going on currently at the time of this recording, I do want to go back and look at PSG quickly. Many talk about PSG as having the best market or best summer transfer window of any team in world football. Their their spending was not really that much. I think somewhere in the range of of 50, 50 million pounds, 55 million pounds, but their wage bill with the players that they brought on between Gijo Donnarumma, between Lionel Messi, uh, Ashraf Hakimi, the list goes on and on. Their wage bill is astronomical. Um, how do they, how does, how does PSG approach paying such massive wages um, in this climate of post COVID world football? Hey there guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Always a pleasure. Uh, I think the, the key thing for PSG really now uh, is you know to sort of maximise uh, the uh, you know the the potential revenue that they can bring in with some of the star names that they have in this uh, in this squad. Obviously, that was a big influencing factor behind uh, fighting so hard to keep Kylian Mbappe this uh, summer transfer window. But also, when you've got somebody like Lionel Messi coming in, that suddenly opens PSG up to to, to all new markets. Uh, in potentially lucrative ways. So I think PSG will be confident that despite the fact that obviously these guys are are earning very good money, uh, that the money coming in, uh, you know, will, uh, I mean, okay, I'm not going to say pay for those moves themselves, but, you know, they will bring in a a significant amount of money uh, that will obviously uh, contribute towards covering the, the entirety of the squad. Now, Jonathan, looking as a whole, obviously, you know, I think we look at a as a PSG side that obviously are going to contend on all fronts, not just at what's going on in Ligue 1, but also in the Champions League. You kind of saw already with Lionel Messi make his debut. What do you think is the current vibe of the team at the moment? And just, you know, how do you, and obviously, you know, they did make some business towards the end with getting Nuno Mendes from Sporting Lisbon. But overall, how are you feeling about this squad and, and just, you know, if there's some sort of, cons to it that don't make them contenders for for basically all the titles that are up there uh, to play for well i think that addition of mendes um at the end of the transfer window is very important because if you're looking at the potential 11s that psg could go with um this season the the formation that makes the most sense is a 3-4-3 so three central defenders two sort of wing backs two central midfielders uh and then three attacking players in the up up top uh, and the only position that they really weren't very well covered was on the left-hand side with Juan Bernat, uh, you know, now sort of on his way back to recovery, but still hasn't played in uh, in over a year now. So, you know, I think Mendes coming in, uh, the fact that Bernat has also been left out of PSG's, uh, 
Champions League list suggests that he is still quite a way away from being anywhere close to the player that PSG lost to injury last year. So, you know, I think now with him, that's almost kind of like the the missing piece. Uh, you know, PSG now have this awesome all-star team that Maurizio Pochettino is going to try to to knit together. But to me, at least looking at it on paper, uh, 3-4-3 probably makes the, the most sense. Now, obviously, the main factor was keeping Kylian Mbappe. Do you feel that maybe that will be a huge boost for them in terms of just overall morale? I mean, we don't know what's going on within the camp and, and all that kind of stuff of even wanting that move to Real Madrid. But, you know, do you feel that this is a huge plus for PSG in the end? Um, and, you know, whatever happens in his future just happens at this point. Yeah, obviously, I think PSG, you know, are a stronger squad for having Mbappe with them this season. Uh, you know, and seasons are long. Anything can happen over the course of them. PSG will be hoping that they can change his mind and persuade him to stay. But whatever happens, uh, you know, both Mbappe and PSG will be targeting Champions League success this season. And you have to say that, you know, PSG are very well equipped to to do that on paper. Uh, you know, we'll have to see how this team comes together, you know, sort of what the chemistry is like. But, uh, you know, they, they do start the tournament as, uh, as early favourites. And obviously, now that we know the the group stage draw, uh, there is the early acid test of, of PSG's ambitions uh, in the fact that they've got Manchester City. Jonathan, I want to jump in quickly because we're talking about Kylian Mbappe. Uh, you've seen some of these rumors pop up lately about the potential of Mbappe going to Real Madrid on a free next summer and PSG preparing themselves to bring in Erling Haaland uh, to replace Kylian Mbappe. Uh, any more information about that potential move next summer? I know it's it's very, very early, but uh, have you heard anything uh, along those lines uh, being so close to the team? I mean, I think as well, uh, when you consider how much business the PSG have done over the years with Mino Raiola, uh, you know, you have to assume that whenever there is a big name Raiola client on the market, uh, you know, as was the case this summer with Paul Pogba until PSG ended up going for Messi, which obviously limited them financially in terms of making a move for Pogba with a transfer fee. Uh, you know, and given those historic links, you know, PSG will always be able to call upon Raiola uh, and potentially get in ahead uh, of, of many other clubs. And that's not to say that they can get a jump on, you know, a club of the stature of Real Madrid. If that's where you know Harling, uh, Erling, Erling Haaland sees his future, but also you know there's going to be other big clubs as well uh, in the race. You know Chelsea have, have been credited with an interest uh, that probably won't go away. There'll be a number of Premier League clubs looking around him, and I have to say that although it might have solved uh, you know sort of the star power aspect of of Mbappe potentially leaving this uh, summer. It wouldn't, uh, you know, have been at a sensible price because PSG will be looking at Haaland thinking, OK, if we can't wait for him to run down his contract, we'll look to get him when the when the the release clause kicks in, which is next summer. So I think PSG will definitely be giving consideration to that, but they'll also be looking at good opportunities elsewhere. And obviously Pogba is uh, one of those and his contract is currently running down. Now, switching gears to what's been going on at World Cup qualification, obviously we're talking off the back of France's draw to Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, obviously, we saw Kylian Mbappe come out with an injury as well, and with two games left, obviously, as we speak, they take on Ukraine today in Kiev before finishing off the international break against Finland. You know, Jonathan, right now, France are currently top with eight points, two wins, and two draws. 
But you look at how they got those results, the two draws coming at home and obviously the two wins coming away from home. You know, I think we all are going to be very much assured that France are going to qualify for the World Cup. But after what we saw in the Euros where they got bounced out prematurely and, you know, looking at these results as well, is, is there that kind of fear that maybe France aren't as good as we think it is? Do you feel that maybe there's some sort of um, a side that maybe isn't that good with with its chemistry? What, what do you feel like is going on with this France side? And do you feel like they can turn it around before qualification ends? That's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I definitely think it's clear for all to see that France are not the same power uh, that won the 2018 World Cup. There's, uh, you know, a lot of questions surrounding Deschamps at the moment, sort of why he moved away from what was, you know, a very successful tried and tested policy. Uh, he's tried to get the team more attacking, and that's actually resulted in PS, uh, sorry, France's best um, attacking threats, uh, you know, basically being nullified. You've got PSG's Mbappe, who hasn't scored a competitive international goal since the middle of 2019. You've got Griezmann, who has gone from being the team's talisman to, you know, sort of suddenly, you know, looking like a bit part player. You've got Benzema, who came in and, you know, was scoring regularly in the Euros, uh, you know, but hasn't really clicked with his teammates just yet. Uh, and then you've got the defence that's completely fallen to pieces. There's bizarre insistence from Deschamps to play Jules Koundé at uh, right back when he's a newcomer at this level. And, uh, you know, I think that France are paying at the moment for, uh, you know, their success because there's a lot of expectation on them. And, and Deschamps is struggling to sort of find a way to accommodate everyone and make the system work. And I think that, you know, he's been lucky in the past in that, You've had guys like Benjamin Pavard and Hernandez, uh, you know, two central defenders by trade who can both play in the fullback positions because that's one area uh, of real weakness for, for France. It's strange to say that because France has so much strength in depth and quality coming through at all youth levels uh, in so many other positions across the pitch. But fullbacks is, you know, is an issue. Uh, and you know it continues to destabilize the defense. So it's um, you know, it's it's interesting times for the French national team. They're going to Ukraine um, this weekend, uh, and we'll see how they get on. Uh, you know they were held to a draw by the Ukrainians in Paris. Uh, you know we've seen them sort of labor through uh, the the Euros this summer. So, you know, I think it's fair to say that everything isn't all, you know, rosy with uh, with France at this moment in time. Obviously, Olivier Giroud, uh, who tested positive for COVID-19 with AC Milan recently, uh, wasn't called up in the most recent squad. Uh, you know, so there is kind of, feels like, uh, you know, Deschamps has kind of picked his scapegoats for, for the summer's failure. Uh, don't forget how Giroud sort of stirred up a bit of controversy publicly just ahead of the tournament by accusing Mbappe of not passing him, passing to him. Uh, so it's, yeah, there's there's plenty of uh, issues for, for additional to get his teeth stuck into. Uh, and there's also questions for the first time in a long time about whether, you know, he's actually going to be able to, to handle this. Now, switching gears, obviously, to your team, Aston Villa, as well. We have to speak about them. Obviously, they did some business in the summer, pro. Get, uh, taking out Jack Grealish going to Manchester City, but they did bring in players like Emiliano Wendia, Ashley Young comes back, Leon Bailey comes in from Bayer Leverkusen, Danny Ings from Southampton. You know, and and you know, I just wanted to ask, you know, how do you assess the squad that they currently have, and do you feel that after what happened last season, and you know, they did finish mid table, do you feel like the side has the potential under Dean Smith to to really go for more? 
I definitely think that there is a lot of potential in that team, and I think it's been designed now to be less dependent on Jack Grealish. Uh, you know, obviously cashing in on Grealish was a, a moment where Peter, where Villa had to agonise over what they would, uh, you know, rather do whether they'd prefer to stay with their homegrown star uh, or whether they prefer to try and build in multiple areas with the money that would come from cashing in on him. At the end of the day, they weren't given a choice. Uh, you know, City activated a, a release clause in his contract and, and Greenish was clear that City were the only club that he wanted to join in the Premier League. So, uh, you know, they've all parties have now moved on and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's taking a while for, for the players to bed in. Uh, you know, results have been a bit mixed so far. A loss away to Watford, uh, a win at home to Newcastle and then a draw at home to Brentford. So we'll see more from them uh, after the international break. There's been some changes in the backroom staff as well. But, you know, the success of Villa's season depends on how quickly, uh, you know, that they can start building up that chemistry again. Now, Jonathan, I want to come back across the channel, back to, uh, to Ligon. Uh, and talk about Christophe Gauthier and the job he's done so far at Nice. And looking at them, they haven't conceded a goal yet. Uh, they're currently sitting fourth in the table, but that's because of an abandoned match between Nice and Marseille where we saw some fan violence break out amongst the fans. What is the current situation of that? Will they be replaying that? Or um, if I remember correctly, they were talking about possibly Marseille being declared the losers in the match. Um, what's the current situation there? Yeah, the current situation with that is there's going to be a definitive uh, verdict um, that comes out next week. Uh, the disciplinary committee have needed a couple of weeks to really uh, assess every single mini incident inside that one bigger incident, uh, you know, so that they can dish out the right um, disciplinary measures to, to the parties concerned. So I think we'll see maybe on Wednesday of next week, uh, you know, an official decision uh, being communicated. There have been some temporary measures put in place already. Uh, nice played uh, behind closed doors in the, the round of matches just before the international break against Bordeaux. Doesn't seem to have affected their their form at all. Obviously, they were used to playing in front of no fans uh, from last season after the the, the, the return after COVID. Uh, and you've also got Marseille's um, physio who has been suspended until further notice because he was caught on camera punching a fan. Uh, and then the, the local police as well uh, are shutting down the southern section of the, the Allianz Riviera Stadium. Uh, for at least another three games, uh, basically waiting for the LFP to make their decision on the matter. So I think you can expect probably significant um, fan bans, you know, perhaps actions against a player or two as well, uh, with Paye, you know, visibly on camera throwing the bottle back into the crowd, which was, you know, sort of the the incendiary moment of the of the of the the whole event. So. Obviously, a very messy affair, um, and hopefully, one that the LFP can get on top of when they make an announcement next week. Now, now, their for, um, Gaultier's former club in Lille currently sit tenth place uh, in the table. I, I know it's early days. Uh, they've seemed to have done okay. They, again, they didn't go through the mis- dismantling that we've seen, uh, you know, in previous recent history, Monaco undergo or Marseille undergo. Um, what uh, what do you see coming out of Lille moving forward this season, given the, the early window so far and the, the image we've gotten them post-Gaultier? 
Um, I'm not expecting big things from Lille this season, to be honest. Uh, I think they've made a, the wrong choice in terms of the coach they brought in in Gorvenek. He's, I think he's out of his depth at a club that big. Um, and I actually expect them to fall on their face in the Champions League, which is very frustrating because uh, France has fallen behind Portugal in the coefficient ranking uh, and it leaves only PSG uh, and Lille in the Champions League group stages this season because we saw Monaco fall short in qualification and they dropped down into the Europa League. So there's sort of more hope surrounding the teams in the Europa League, Monaco, Lyon, Marseille, um, than someone like Lille. And, you know, although Lille weren't completely pillaged of all of their players, you know, they did lose some key elements. Uh, you know, they, lo- they lost them very early doors. We saw Mike Mignon go to AC Milan to replace Donnarumma. We saw Galtier jump ship to Nice. We saw Sumari go and join Leicester. Uh, you know, so there have been some uh, some some big misses, uh, and also if Renato Sanchez hadn't picked up an injury uh, ahead of the the final few days of the transfer window, I think we would have seen him move on as well. No, no doubt about it, Jonathan. I want to thank you for joining us on the show um, and always being a good friend of ours. We really appreciate your time and wish you all the best, and always give our best to Joey and Alfred as well. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Always a pleasure. And special thanks again to Jonathan Johnson for joining us on the anniversary show. Roberto, you've got a little something you want to throw at me, so uh, fire away, my friend. Yes, so these are all the great things that going over the years, we always talk about the greatest players in the world. We always like to talk about them. Mm. But the one thing that always changes is how expensive they've become. And we've had a crazy transfer window, as you know, Joe. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, and this is coming from Transfer Market, I've asked this question quite some time. But now it's been updated okay. to new names. I want you to name, it doesn't have to be in order, mm-hmm. but I want you to give me the 10 most expensive players, most valuable players, I should say, according to the transfer market. Okay. I can already think of like three or four names on that list that are right at the top of my head. So that's mm-hmm. that's an that's definitely an interesting one. Uh, we'll, we'll give you the answer in at the end of the next segment. So again, so we have, we have two great guests, obviously Jonathan Johnson, who you just heard, a fantastic friend of the show uh, and a great soccer mind and it's great to talk to him. But again, like we always said, it's not an anniversary show unless we have Jeremy St. Louis. So we were able to catch up with Jeremy uh, now at CBS sports, uh, talk about the great moves that CBS sports is making in the soccer world in terms of broadcasting in the United States. We talked about his beloved Manchester United, and we got to talk a little bit of CONCACAF world cup qualifying with Canada and the United States facing off against each other this weekend. So without further ado, the Jeremy St. Louis interview. And joining us now on our eighth anniversary show of Little Limit Football, our very, very good friend from CBS Sports, Mr. Jeremy St. Louis. Jeremy, welcome back to the show. It is always great to catch up with you. Uh, I want to open up with a, a first a question about CBS Sports. They have made massive, massive moves over the past year. They've accumulated the Serie A, Champions League, Europa League, Nations League, CONCACAF Champions League, qualifying uh, for CONCACAF as well. The Women's uh, League, they, they've had picked up so many more um soccer properties uh what what is i guess the future goal will there be more properties and do you ever foresee uh, a show like the fox soccer report that you know we had back in the day do you ever see a show like that coming back again for cbs sports well first of all let me say congratulations on the eight years eight years eight years, eight years. i mean Getting that's, old. that's incredible and that's incredible, you guys. I'm 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 so proud of you, and I'm 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 so uh, you know I, I'm so thankful that you you know you still think of me to call me on your anniversary show. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, CBS Soccer, yeah, man, they have made some big moves in the last year, and I I am uh, I'm 
I'm really happy that I made the jump to CBS, uh, given my soccer experience. Um, and they've made some really great hires with some of the people that they brought in as well. And so I, I, I'm not sure what the future holds in terms of the properties. Uh, what I can tell you is that there is a large soccer contingent, like people who love soccer at CBS within the CBS sports hierarchy. There are a number of people. I think the head of CBS sports, I, I believe his, his dad was one of the first people to bring in the NASL on CBS. I, I believe that's the way that it goes. My, my boss, uh, Jeff Rattula is a huge Liverpool supporter and he's a huge soccer fan uh, on the HQ side, on the digital side. And I just know that there's a large, you know, there, there is a very, there's very much a love of the beautiful game within CBS and they saw the opportunity to bring in some stuff. I know that they've got, they've got plans of kind of how they want to lay things out. Um, and, and, and yeah, we're, we're just excited to, you know, to have it all there. Do I see a show like the Fox soccer report? I'm not really too sure at this time what plans are regarding something like that. I know that because they have a lot of properties they're they're doing a lot of digital stuff. So you're, you're seeing a lot of stuff like a champions league, the Europa league, everything's kind of moving to streaming as well with Paramount plus. And I know that, you know, that they're, they're looking at some stuff in regards to perhaps something with Paramount plus doing like a, a, a streaming, you know, channel or something like that. I'm not really too sure what their plans are in regards to that, but I think that at this point in time, they're pretty happy with what we're doing in terms of our soccer coverage. You've got Ian and Poppy, uh, Luis Miguel, you got I, uh, you know, Jimmy Conrad, um, Jonathan Johnson, you know, all those guys, they're contributing to stuff through our Stanford, Connecticut studios and doing a lot of that soccer stuff live digitally on HQ. And I think that they're pretty happy with where that is at this point in time. So having said that, though, you know, we do have a lot of properties. I mean, we have the Asian Champions League. We've got the Brazil League. I think we have Argentina. We have the NWSL, as you mentioned, the Champions League, you know, the UEFA Champions League, and then the qualifiers. And, I mean, I, I there may even be more in there coming down the pipe. I'm not really too sure. And then, of course, I don't know what the plans are in regards to the Premier League, but I know the Premier League rights are coming up and, and I'm not sure what that is going to look like, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we were to perhaps, you know, go in on something like that to see if we could get something like that. Um, but at this point in time, I have no idea what their plans are, but it would certainly be cool to have, to have something like the Premier League added to that in terms of what we're doing uh, from a, from a soccer standpoint. And it's a perfect segue to the Premier League uh, into my next question, Jeremy, and talking about, obviously, your beloved Manchester United, who did a bit of business over the summer. I mean, obviously, we could talk about the transfer of Rafael Varane coming in. We could talk about Jadon Sancho coming in as well. But obviously, what everyone is talking about is the transfer of Cristiano Ronaldo returning back to the club. Firstly, I just want your immediate thoughts of that. And, you know, how do you feel that really straightens the side uh, heading into this new season? Well, I, I'm a, you know, I've I've been a Cristiano Ronaldo fan since he came to the club. I, I've made no secret of the fact that I I prefer Ronaldo to to Lionel Messi. I know that that's sacrilege in some parts, but you know, I just I'm I'm a big fan of Cristiano and what he's able to do under pressure and how he plays. And I mean, this week, you know, he becomes the all-time leading international goal scorer with a, two goals. Could have had a hat trick, but Ronaldo misses. Um, I'm I'm I'm. I'm also a proponent of I've seen enough soccer that it's really hard to go home again. And so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit leery about what he can do with Manchester United. Having said that, I mean, he's obviously got a lot left in the tank. They got him for a, you know, they got a great deal on him. Um, So, you know, I think that from that standpoint, that it's great business for Manchester United to bring him back, not just because of that, but because of what he means to the fans 
and you know, and the fan that he's so beloved amongst the fan base. I said this at the time when the deal was made that I think that this makes Manchester United a legitimate title contender because if Ronaldo is on form, he knows the league. There's no adjustment for him. He doesn't have to adjust to culture or anything like that. He's stepping back into a league that he knows very well, that is obviously a lot more competitive than it was. And United are certainly in a much different place than they were when he left. But I think that with the moves that they've made this summer and by adding someone like Cristiano, who is a proven goal scorer, even at his age, that I think that if he stays healthy, that United are legitimate title contenders. Now, obviously, going into that, and you say legitimate title contenders, how do you see them in the Champions League um, this year? Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely see them, you know, uh, getting to the getting to the knockout stages, and I'd like to see them at least get to a semifinal. I'm not sure whether they have the kind of squad that can make it all the way, given you know the other teams that you know the other teams are up there. Obviously, PSG. I mean, they're a super club, so you know, we, who's going to take down PSG? That's the question everybody's asking. So I don't know whether they have the squad that can do that. At the same time, PSG have proven in the past that they are psychologically perhaps not as strong as some other teams uh, out there. So I, I, I'm not going to say that it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if, if PSG were to get beaten at some point, perhaps even in the final. But um, in terms of Manchester United, I would be on cloud nine if they were to get to the Champions League final. But I think that they can go. I think they do have the type of squad that can certainly go deep into the competition. Now, Jeremy, I'd like to switch gears and go, get back into uh competition or, or, or international competition because obviously we're in the middle of the international break as this show always falls in during that time. And Canada is in the octagonal or the octo or whatever you want to call it um, with a one, I'm sorry, one, one draw against Honduras at home to open the competition, trying to qualify for the world cup here and going to face the United States tomorrow in Nashville. Um, this is certainly one of the strongest Canadian sides we've ever seen. Jonathan David on this side. Um, you, you know, we've got uh, quite a few uh, uh, players that we can talk about. What, how do you see Canada performing? I think Roberto and I off off air, we were talking about this, and we feel like Mexico and Canada will probably finish 1-2. I'm sorry, Mexico and the United States will probably finish 1-2 in this competition, or at least that's the expectation. But Canada, Honduras, Costa Rica, and Jamaica, we feel like will be the four teams fighting for those other spots. How do you feel... Um, Canada is going to perform tomorrow against the United States in Nashville. And how do you see them uh, progressing through uh, qualification to the World Cup? I would. I don't want to get my hopes up too high. So I kind of, you know, I, I, we were talking about this off air at HQ the other day because obviously, you know, uh, Canada uh, getting the draw and the U.S. playing down to the competition in El Salvador and getting the draw, um, you know, uh, on level footing and then everybody was like, Oh, Canada, U S on Sunday, Jeremy, Canada, U S on Sunday. And I, I, I think that Canada certainly has one of the better squads it's had in, in World Cup qualifying in a very long time. I mean, obviously, you know, we go back to 1986. That was the last time they've been there. Didn't score a goal, went out in three games. And, you know, it was, it was certainly disappointing. I think that they have the squad that can get there, especially looking at the rest of CONCACAF. I think that Canada certainly have a squad that I'd be shocked if they didn't make it to the World Cup. Um, out of that in the top three, most people will put them in the top three, U.S., Mexico, Mexico, U.S., depending on how you want to do it. But, I mean, this Mexico team is not is not the team that we've known in the past. They're going through a bit of a transition right now. They've got great management in Tata Martino, but, you know, this is a team that is very much in transition. And, and certainly with 
you know, with, with COVID and everything else going on, we talked about, you know, Jamaica as a team that they didn't have a lot of their players there. So, you know, we didn't necessarily see the best out of Jamaica and Mexico were perhaps lucky to get away with the win there. But, but, you know, I think that, I think that Canada certainly has a squad that should get them to uh, Qatar in 2022. I, I don't think they're going to, you know, I, I, I would pick them to finish third. I'd hate to see them go to the playoff, um, go to that inter-confederation playoff in fourth place. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, and uh, I certainly think they have the kind of squad that can get them, uh, you know, at least second or third place in the octagonal world. Do you put a lot of that pressure on uh, Alfonso Davies, obviously with the, the couple of years that he's had at Bayern Munich and really emerging as one of the best players in CONCACAF itself? How much pressure is on him to perform in this, uh, this qualification? I think Alfonso Davies certainly is the name that everybody gravitates towards. But I mean, Kyle Lahren, I mean, you know, he had the he had the goal the other night that got them the draw. He's I think he's four goals away from from tying Dwayne Di Rosario's or three goals away from tying Dwayne Di Rosario's record as the leading goal scorer in Canadian soccer history, men's uh, men's team history. So I mean, I don't think someone like Kyle Lahren is to be discounted. I think that he. You know, obviously there's some there's some motivation there for him because he came in as this big player. You know, he's kind of like he's kind of fallen, faded a little bit with the emergence of Davies. But I think that I think that Kyle Lahren is certainly a guy that you can look at as well. But yes, obviously the you know Davies is the name, he's the face, and he's the one that everybody's going to be putting pressure on. And I love it for Davies because of the fact that he's the kind of kid that responds to pressure. I mean, he's a he's an Alberta boy, I believe. So you know, raised just outside of Edmonton, if I remember right, in St. Albert, I think it was. Um, I grew up in Alberta. I grew up in central Alberta. I've, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Edmonton, so I know what kind of a town Edmonton is. It doesn't, doesn't raise weaklings. So Alfonso Davies is certainly going to be up for the challenge. And obviously the experience that he's getting in Europe, is giving him a lot of, you know, a, a lot of recognition and because he can hang with the big boys out there. And that's really something that's very, very positive to see. And obviously he's going to, you know, the hope is that he can carry that into World Cup qualifying. But as we all know, you know, we all know we followed this game for a long time. It's not a one man game. There's 11 players out there, and so you know I think it's going to take, especially with Canada, it's going to take a cooperative effort. Remember, this is a, this is a Canadian team that that we thought was going to go to the World Cup. You know, they only had to draw against Honduras, and what happened? They lost 8-1. So I mean, this is a Canadian team that we talk about PSG having psychological problems. This is a Canadian team that's had that weight on their back that they have not been there since 1986 to the World Cup. That, that's something that they're reminded of constantly. And so, you know, I think there is a little bit of a mental hurdle that they're going to have to overcome. But I think that in terms of the talent in the squad and perhaps the psychology as well, I think this is the kind of squad that can certainly do that. No doubt about it. And, and they're very exciting to watch. So looking forward to the match, especially tomorrow night, because I think it's certainly going to be a cracker and it's going to be difficult for both sides to really pick up the three points for me in the end. So. Jeremy, I want to thank. Joe, what's your prediction? For, hang on, hang on. Uh, Joe, what's yeah. your prediction for that match? Come on, I mean, you got a Canada-U.S. thing here. Tell God, me. God, you know, it, it makes me sick to say, but from what I saw against El Salvador uh, the other night, one-one, and I and I hate saying it because I, I fully expect the U.S. to win their home soil matches, but I, I was not like over the moon with with the way they performed against El Salvador. I'm going to say one-one, uh, and I hate saying it, uh, but I think that might be it. How about you? What do you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I, I, I think a draw would be very good for Canada in that mm-hmm. match, especially if, I mean, is, 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 I'm not sure if Pulisic's going to play, but I mean, if he does, obviously that gives the U.S. A, certainly a nice boost. Um, but uh, I would certainly, if I'm Canada, I would certainly take the draw against the U.S. Roberto, how about you? Come on, we got, we're all putting numbers on this. Let's go. 
I'm going to be more confident and think uh, the United States get here. I think after what we saw in El Salvador, that they have to have some sort of confidence booster and much more motivation to get this win. So I'm going to say USA win this one. All right. But it's going to be a tight one. 2-1, okay. 1-0, one, one what do you got? 1-0, one, 1-0. No, 1-0, one, no, one, one, no. no. ah, you're going to be a nail-biter for all three of us then tomorrow night, I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, Jeremy, again, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, every year, as always, you know, it's not, an, like I've said, every year, it's not an anniversary without you. So um, all the best to you and all the, all the success at CBS Sports. And look forward to having you again next year, my friend. Guys, thank you very much. And, uh, again, congratulations. And uh, it's always good to connect with you. And, uh, yeah, continued success on the podcast. I look forward to talking to you at the ninth anniversary. That's right. That's right. Again, thanks again. Take care. And special thanks again to Jeremy St. Louis for joining us on our anniversary show. Roberto, before we uh, before we cut into the last clip with uh, Jeremy St. Louis, you gave us a great trivia question. Why don't you repeat it real quick, and I'll try to rattle off some names to you. Yes. So what I had imposed is for you to give me the top 10 most valuable players by market value according to transfer market. Mm-hmm. So um, let's, uh, let's, let's go ahead and dive into some names, and I'll, I'll just rattle them off. You keep a written count. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go easily Kylian Mbappe, number one probably. Uh, yep, number one at 160 million yeah. euros. Erling Holland, Number two with 130 million euros. Jaden Sancho. Number four with 100 million. Who did I miss at three? Because um, now my mind's running blank. Let's do Christian Pulisic. He is not in the top wow. 10. Wow. Alfonso Davies. Not in the top 10. Federico Chiesa? Nope. Not wow. in the top 10 either. I've only I think had... um, I got some hint. Actually, let me look. They all play in the Premier League except two players. One plays in France and the other plays in Spain. All right. Well, let's do Jack Grealish. Nope. Wow. One plays in France and one plays in Spain. One made a move this okay. summer so as well. Eduardo Camavinga is nope. I, I I can't believe Messi or Ronaldo would be on this list, but nope, uh, no Messi or Ronaldo. As I was going to say, but um, but they but they are players. They are there are players who play at those clubs oh, that they're at right now. Neymar, Neymar at number eight with a hundred million. Okay, um, Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford is actually 13th. No, okay. he's not on this list. Um, I'm just trying to think of a couple more, and then I'm going to have you give me the list. Yep. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Is Kevin De Bruyne on that list? He is at number seven at 100 million. Okay. Is Raheem Sterling on that list? He is not on this list. He wow. just missed it at 12. Okay. One more name, um, and then I'll. Yeah, let's, name let's out. do one more name. Um, Golo Kante. Nope. Uh, you know, what? I'm going to ask you one more question. Are there any goalkeepers on this list? No. Okay. Then go ahead. Fire away. All right. So starting at number 10 at 90 million euros, Bruno Fernandes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Rounding off at number nine is Frankie de Jong at 90 million. Okay. I'm a little surprised at that one, but yeah, it makes sense. Number eight is Neymar, as you mentioned. Yep. Number seven is Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. Number six is Romelu Lukaku at $100 million. Wow, I did not expect him to be on the list, but that is a great shout. Number five is Mohamed Salah at okay. $100 million. Okay. Number four was Jaden Sancho, as you had mentioned. Yep. Number three, this is the at one I want to yeah, number three at $120 million is Harry Kane. Really? Mm-hmm. 100, $120 million euros, according to the transfer market. How old is Harry Kane? He's, he's 28. 28. And how old is Robert Lewandowski? He's... 
got to be 33, 34. Is that okay? That would make the difference, but I'm I'm still kind of surprised at Harry Kane being at that high on the list over Lukaku on top of it. Right. Um, number two is Herling Holland at number at 130 million, and number one, like you had mentioned, Kylian Mbappe at 160 million. So those are the top ten most valuable players according to transfer market. I'm curious because we had the discussion with with Jeremy St. Louis. Um, where do you see Christian Pulisic on that list? Where he might be? Uh, let me see if I could do a quick search of him. I don't see him within the top 50. If I check it real quick, actually, that's an idea. Um, yeah, he's got to be up there. Uh, he is worth 50 million. Okay. What so price? that would mean he would be at around, if I could just double check here, let me see if I could find him. 83rd most valuable player in the Al- world. And Alfonso Davies? Alfonso Davies, I, I just saw him as well. Uh, he is. Hang on. I literally just saw him. Um, no, he's oh, yep. Here we go. Twenty seventh at seventy million, and so, he actually went down in market value. Wow. The, the last one I'm going to throw at you because, like I said, he he might, like I said to Jeremy, he might be the best player in Concacaf. So the last name that I'd want to throw at you is, is someone like Chucky Lozano. I don't see him within the top hundred. Let me see. That's he it. is at forty five million. Okay, so, he's so he is a little Pulisic. bit low. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. That, that answers the question. I, I think, you know, well, like I mentioned to Jeremy, that I think Alfonso Davies might be the... Uh, he just scraped the 100. He's at 100 in yeah. terms of most valuable players. I mean, do you do you think that's true, that Alfonso Davies is the is is the best player in CONCACAF? I would say so, yeah. I, he's, I, he's I, probably, I, yeah, yeah, I mean... He's in the discussion yeah. at minimum, at absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's considered one of the best players in this position. Right. Not right. Lozano and Pulisic aren't. Right. So. so it's interesting. Interesting interesting question and certainly eye-opening answer, to say the least. So, mm-hmm. so my friend, uh, we have nothing left on the docket. So let's, uh, let's close year eight and start year nine. You up for that? Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 335 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Jonathan Johnson and Jeremy St. Louis for opening year nine with us. Next week, we will bring you all the reports back from World Cup qualifying around the world, and we'll look at Champions League and the leagues as they get ready to start again. So, for episode 335 and our eighth anniversary of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I am Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>